Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a bonus edition of Freedom Books, Flowers in the Moon, the podcast brought to you by the TLS. I'm Lucy Dallas, the arts editor, and I'm delighted to be talking today to David Gregg, the artistic director of the Royal Lyceum Theatre in Edinburgh and a prolific playwright and adapter. David's adaptation of Solaris is now on at the Hammersmith Lyric Theatre, having been in Melbourne and Edinburgh already. Solaris was written in 1961 by Stanislav Lem and filmed by Andrei Tarkovsky in 1972 and again by Steven Soderbergh in 2012. It's a difficult one to sum up, but I'll have a go. So the The book involves a psychologist, Chris Kelvin, who goes to the planet Solaris, which is solely inhabited by a vast, intelligent ocean. And Kelvin finds the space station there in disarray. The crew are terrified, and he soon... I'm saying he, but we'll talk about that as well. He learns that the station is also populated by creatures who seem to come from the minds of the humans. Projections or memories, maybe products Mm. of a guilty conscience... He later calls them cruel miracles. And he meets someone almost exactly like his former wife, shall Mm -hmm. we say, his ex-wife. And their relationship and their attempts to understand what is going on shape the narrative. Is that a fair (laughs) summing up? Yes, I think certainly the book is complex, but in a strange way, I think it's much simpler in the sense that... um, a person in in our story it's that we've made Chris a woman we'll come back to that but let's just say so Chris arrives on a space station uh, orbiting the planet Solaris the planet Solaris is covered in an ocean there may be reason to believe that that ocean has consciousness or maybe it doesn't and that I think that's quite key because um, one of the best chapters in the book is the whole beginning where Lem does this to me, this is one of the surprising things, is that it's almost like um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy ra- rather than what you might think of if you're thinking of Tarkovsky and great art house mm. cinema. Lem has this whole chapter of all the theories of Solaris's yes. ocean. Yes. And it's very, very funny. And one says, you know, that I love says, uh, the best theory I think we've come is that the ocean is like a giant cosmic yogi that has realised the vanity of all action and retreated into unbreakable silence. So... Around this space station, these people are trying to study this planet, trying to understand what it is, and they're orbiting this great vast ocean and looking at it and just trying to think, well, you know, is, is it thinking? What is it doing? Mm. 
So they have reason to believe it's conscious. But that reason then becomes even more uh, profound when they start having what they call visitors. And the visitors are manifestations of people from their memory or objects and things from their memory. But again, we might think of that as ghosts. So it's almost as simple as to say these people on a space station who are orbiting a planet that they think might or might not be conscious start being visited by people who completely resemble people who were in their lives but cannot be because those yes, people are cannot, dead. cannot be there. I mean, That's s- the, slightly it, spoiler some... alert, but if you're this far, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. And uh, Chris arrives, not necessarily knowing why the space station is in turmoil, arrives in order. She's a psychologist. She's there to... Uh, well, in our story, we said she's there to bring people home, but it doesn't really matter. She arrives to investigate the trouble and um, she discovers this strange setup, which is, is the planet conscious and is it sending, is it reading their brains? Is it reading their dreams, in fact, is again what Lamb says. That's why I always think it's, we were really careful about the science fiction in the play because um, one of the things the theatre is not very good at is sort of futurism. I sort of call it tinfoil mm. theatre. The um, cinema is great for that, you know, and you can have people in cinema saying things like, put on the fremulator and disturb And then you can show the fremulator Yes, quite exactly, often and it looks to. great and everybody buys yes. it. But in theatre, yeah, yeah. we just laugh. I mean, there's yeah. no possibility of doing that. Because it. the fremulator is made of tinfoil. Because it's made of tinfoil, and, and yeah. we know perfectly yeah, yeah. well that it is because we're in a theatre. So there's something for me where I, I wanted to strip away all of that sort of stuff and just let it be what it is. And the glorious thing is, I think that's what Stanislav Lem was doing as well. In this, there's very little language of that type. Or, or that this, mm. It's really about... They're looking at this great orbiting ball. They think it might have consciousness. And it starts to send them their own memories back. And then they have to interact with their own memories. But their own memories are now autonomous beings and have their own opinions about what's going on. I mean, I guess, of course, I've now shown by rambling on how how difficult it is to sum up. But strangely, it comes back to quite simple things. What if someone who you loved and lost was back in front of you and did not know that that's who they were, but that's who they were. And so you had to try to interact, like trying to interact with, with you, yes, with your own past and your own loss, which is, again, why I think the cruel miracles phrase is very helpful because mm. it, that would be a cruel miracle. And it's also, it's something to do with, well, to do with all sorts of things, isn't it? But it's also to do with time because they are, they have some memory of, of who they were. They have your memory. Yes, they have, they have your what, memory of who they, they were. They have what because, you think they are, yeah. but then from that point onwards, they, are, they, they start are, to yeah. develop. Because yeah. it seemed to me, so I'm jumping right no, in the middle no, of this, so but, it's, but it's, there's, yeah, there's so much to, to talk about. It seems to me that, as well as many other things, it's 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 kind of about AI. I mean, not, not specifically about AI, but it's about consciousness. What is consciousness? Yes. What do you do when something created, in this case, not human created, yeah begins to have a mind of its own. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, again, I, I, I think maybe I just go away from all the technical stuff. For me, it's like puts you into the position of your sort of God. So your yes. mind has created this creature. There's a, a bit in our piece where... So, okay, might as well, you know... Essentially, for Chris is visited by... In, by, in the book, it's his former wife... In our story, it's her former lover. And she has reason to believe that she has very sad memories of her former yes. lover. For yeah, they're not straightforward, uncomplicated, happy memories. And it's very, very sad. And there's a point in the story where he realises 
that mm. and he realizes that he has been created from that and therefore he can never be happy because he has been created sad that's who he is and he says something like you know i'm trapped in this skin and i'm sad all the time mm. <laughs> and she says that's what being human is well she doesn't quite say that line but but it is it's effectively she sort of says that's i'm you know i'm sorry but that's how we are as well <laughs> that's kind of we're trapped <laughs> in a bag mate, and there's it. nothing yeah. much we can do about it and so i've always loved that thing i think lem is very thoughtful about the idea of of creation and about i think there's a lot of religion in it so it's about god mm. because they look at this great big ball of consciousness which could be the most it could be uh, the biggest intelligence that has ever existed or it could be like a child and and yeah. and then there's this lovely thing that I think starts to happen when you start thinking but what if what would be the difference if you see what I mean and yes. there's something really extraordinary about the that maybe the most intelligent thing we could do would be to have a child's consciousness or do you see what I mean? Yes. And yeah, the yeah. Lem's book is full of that. Every thought is a turn on itself and a philosophical twist. Um, and it's, it's also, it's, it seems to be very much in your play as well. It's, in a way, I mean, it doesn't matter. Of course it does matter. It doesn't matter whether it's a god or a yogi or there's one theory that it's the autistic ocean that yes, doesn't really know what it's yes. doing or it's a child. Or because it's deeply it's, malevolent. And it could, in could, fact, also be, absolutely, could also yeah, be deeply yeah. malevolent and saying, get out of here, this yeah. is what I can do to you. Yeah. But that's not the issue because there's nothing the humans can do about that. The, the issue yeah. is how the humans... Yeah respond yes. to it and kind of what they what they do with yeah, it yeah and actually i want to go straight to the yeah, gender thing yeah. um because you've done the book and certainly the first film the tarkovsky film they're very sort of classic especially classic 60s sf in that they're very blokish they're, yeah. it's basically all blokes yeah. there's a couple of women drifting in and out yeah. with cups of coffee and then and then yeah. there is a lover figure and, yeah and also Who's arguably than the, the ocean, the unknowable, yeah. Yeah. emotional I mean, yes, ball, yes, and then yeah. there's a lot of men being rational. Yeah. But it doesn't get them very far, no. being rational. But in yours, I was thinking, because we're used to, to blind casting in theatre. Theatre yeah. has been completely in the vanguard of that. But but I think here it's more significant than that, isn't yes, it? Do you yeah, want to yeah. tell us yeah, why? So, so, well, first of all, we were thinking about this. The idea came from Matthew Lutton, the director, who's a fantastic Australian director, uh, who I, I had his picnic at Hanging Rock at our theatre. Mm. He loves looking at film, which I think is very interesting. I think the new canon, in a way, in theatre is increasingly film. Yes. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. I'm not sure it's, you know, I love traditional plays as well, but it was interesting. And uh, I, I was fascinated by his take. And he said, he, the next thing he would like to do is Solaris, and would I like to do it with him? So that came from him, because I was going to yeah. ask you why... Yeah. Why you came to it? Yeah, well, well, he started with that, and I mean, I could have said no, but what happened was, I he said read the book, so I read the book, and I I knew there was a Tarkovsky film, and I'd seen a few Tarkovsky uh, films as a student. I mean, I say seen, they'd kind of drifted past my consciousness probably when I was stoned and I don't really remember very much <laughs> about them. But I kind of knew, I kept thinking, well, God, you know, what, what's that going to be? It's going to be how, really how are we long. Gonna do that? Yeah, but yeah. I read the book and immediately got this sort of different take. Then I went back to the film and uh, I, remember, <laughs> I remember 
just so many men. I mean, I love the film. The film is glorious, and I would really recommend it to anybody. And I, you know, it's a delicious thing. You want to go back and savor it again and again because it's so beautiful and so moving. But it is so many men. And there's one bit where um, the the equivalent, I suppose, of NASA, you know, NASA headquarters is is all these like have forty or fifty men in, oh, in suits. The film. Yeah. yeah, and they're um, and they're looking out and they're going, "What does it? What does it want? What What is it? What?" And I thought. Oh God! It's a woman. This is all about. This is all about men <laughs> not being able. What thing? is this unknowable thing? It really made me laugh. Um, but also, it made me think. Oh God! This is going to be really difficult. So, we were just thinking about. And the first thing we thought is, well, not only are they all men. I mean, they're all white men. And in the theatre just now, that's not going to work. But also, not is it not going to work? This is in an alternative universe where people are called Jabarian and Professor R.V. Yes. Chang or whatever it is. Doesn't so it didn't seem to be any reason why. Yeah. Also, I think it was totally in the spirit of Lem that the astronauts would be a representative sample of the world. And I thought Lem absolutely, if he was writing it now, would have put women in it as astronauts because I don't think he's interested in... I don't think... I think sexuality interests him and gender and men and all of that, but I don't think he was particularly making a point that, you know... No, that even it. though it looks as though it might fall into that cliche, that's not necessarily what he that's was not, doing. That's not... I don't think he's more interesting and than that. There was a few things that immediately made me know I could do the story before we got to the gender story. The first is that it kind of is a play because it's a single location in which ghosts arrive in a to disrupt a small number of people and mm. their daily ongoing lives, which might as well be Ibsen. I, mean, I see what it's you mean. Of, is that even though it's set yeah. in a space station, actually, it could yeah, just it's, be it's a, a house. It's essentially and, a single yeah. location drama. Yeah. So that was immediately grabbed me, and I thought, oh, OK, that's not quite what I thought. Um, but the other thing was uh, that on Lem's space station, there is a library, and they drink wine. And uh, in Tarkovsky, they smoke cigarettes all the time mm. on, in space. And, and that's, of course, because this is space in the 1960s. It's imagined future space where you're able just to swan around and smoke a fag and have a drink and yeah. take a book from the library as you, as you ponder the, the universe. And so what I suddenly thought was, if we do this, but we set it in the future of the past. So, so on our space station also, we have um, old technology and we... we um, We've kind of gone back that way. Yes, because you've got tapes, haven't you? Yeah, you've got is it video, video tapes. You've got yeah, 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 yeah. And um, we've tried to make it that everything was basically as you might imagine it if you were in a communist country in 1963. <laughs> <laughs> even the even the furniture has that sort of look. Yes, uh, and um, it also takes you away. I'm explaining yeah. this to you as though uh, mm. as though I've come up with it, but I'm just understanding it. It takes you away from the whole formulator. Yes, exactly. Problem, well, that because was, we understand yeah. all the tech. I mean, as, as yeah. soon as you as soon as you take on board that someone's got to space and there's a vast intelligent yeah. ocean, the rest of it. That's that's all you need. And so when we were thinking, okay, well, given that, of course, we, we could have old actors, young actors, disabled actors, anybody could play any of these parts. Mm. There's no real reason why any of them should particularly inhabit a certain sort of body. And at first, I was quite resistant to the idea that we might think about Chris being female. And then I suddenly realised that my resistance was exactly the reason that we had to do it, which is that it is just all of our synapses are formed around the story of a man in his late 30s, 40s, 50s and a girl in her, you know, a woman aged 22 who's really beautiful but also dangerous and 
and crazy mysterious. and mysterious yeah, yeah. and and perhaps tiny bit suicidal and all of these things and he yeah. and he, can he save her and he feels bad and it's like lovely it's lovely i i am that man i, I <laughs> that's you know i my heart goes but what i realized is that i was never going to write anything interesting if i did that because i'd just be going along the same railway groove that that was there because and that's been done and i thought that and maybe Lem would disagree with me. Sorry, I don't. I can't speak for Lem at this point. <laughs> mm. But I thought if we make Chris a woman, then she's a woman in her forties who has a former lover who is in his twenties. I'm going to have to work really hard to make him a believable character in a way that, forgive me, because I suddenly realised that I I know how to write that. Partly maybe because she exists already in the culture. Exactly, so and that's all I would write, yeah. is what exists yes, in the culture. I've got no idea if it's it real be, or not. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. setting it to work, I go, oh, okay, wait a minute. Is this just dumb? Is he just being dumb? Because sometimes he really is just being dumb, you know, the Ray character. But other times he's heartbreaking, and other yeah. times he's really intelligent and yeah. piercing. And so I thought, so the first thing for me was the character of Ray. I thought, if I have to make, if I have to use Lem's philosophy, I have to build it up from there, yeah. I'll have to find the real deep, gritty stuff because I'll have to, because I'll need to renew it. So it wasn't a critique. It wasn't like, oh, Lem's being sexist. It was just the unfortunate thing is those rails are so trodden that I thought the audience wouldn't really see it. Mm. And then, But then it had this lovely other effect, which is that... Again, there's no reason why, why would a psych- psychologist, a professor of psychology, not now be a woman in a 40s? I just, you know, to me that seemed absolutely. Yes, whereas plausible. in 1961, yeah, it might have just seemed literally unimaginable yeah. in Poland in 61. Yeah. But the thing about the. Um, she then becomes interesting because, of course, she starts off having a relationship to Ray, which is sort of experimental, and she's kind of looking and going, well, I know you're not really real, so I want to experiment on this fascinating piece of science. But mm. of course she starts to re-fall in love with him. And then you get this lovely thing as well, which is, just for me anyway, that it's not a new character, but it was just a more interesting character for me to explore, is this woman who, who really actually has worked quite hard to contain herself and to get herself to shut down and be... Mm. scientific and serious and whatever and she suddenly finds herself a bit as one of the other characters says to you're behaving like a teenage girl you know well and there's also there's a bit when kelvin in both iterations is saying something like but it's my wife or but i love him or or something like that and dr sartorius who who is very i don't want to say scientific because that that sounds judgmental but but it is the and she's also deeply afraid of solaris and thinks that 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 whatever these things are yeah that whatever these things are they're malevolent yes so yeah so dr sartorius has yes has it has has the most negative view of solaris Mm. and basically Mm. wants to contain as much as possible and kind of get out of there and sartorius says well of course well well who is it it's a it's an attractive 20 something (laughs) young man yeah, of course you like him. Yeah, and they, he says it in the book as well yeah, because they, yeah. because Sartorius says to her, "Well, if your visitor was a kind of old bag, yeah. would you be so worried about yeah. keeping her alive?" Yeah. And yeah. Kelvin goes, "Well, okay, maybe yeah. not." Yeah. But, but that's again, that's that's a, a very kind of human I, response. I hope also that to be truthful, you know, we've done one or two twists in the story to to help it. But really, uh, well, I would argue we're, rel- we're certainly very faithful to the spirit of the, of the book. And I think if you'd seen our play and then you went and read the book, you would enjoy the book and, and you would sort of see where, where we'd taken things from. Mm. Really, the, 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 the gender swap is probably the most significant change that we made. And by and large, the rest of it is follows from that. But what I do think it reveals to me is that the book's 
themes and the the story of Solaris, why I think it's a story that people will keep coming back to, mm. is nearly everything it throws up is a really interesting question that makes yes. you want to... But it's like hundreds of really fascinating questions. So well, exactly, I've, I've got know, about 55 yeah. questions here because I was thinking as well, it's got so many genres in a way. It's yeah. a space story, kind of fairly fairly old-fashioned mm. Framulator type space story yeah, because yeah. you go and, and yeah. you know you see a, a vast unknowable ocean psychological thriller mystery love story existential essay about yeah. how can you understand what you can't understand and as I say I'm, and to my mind it was also about consciousness and slightly AI though it's not I, specifically absolutely. No, about no, but, AI but also dreaming I should say dreaming is very important because that one of the things that they start to believe and again have reason to believe is that what Solaris is doing is, is, is somehow reading their dreams and that that's where these people come from. Yeah. But the other thing is that Solaris itself might be dreaming. Might be dreaming itself. Might, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, I've even had one audience member say to me, of course, I realised that the, the real thing is that the the whole story is being dreamed by Solaris. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a nice so idea. It was one of those, but again, it takes you back to the sort of student dope, but a little tiny bit of like, <laughs> yeah, we're up. But it is a little bit like that, that every point that you um, look at in the story, it could be... What I tried to do was... Um, I thought you've got to cut through this and say, well, what is the one thing that this is in yes, order to be able to do you, it? because otherwise you'd have a play that was kind of 12 hours yeah. long and people would be constantly saying, hmm, what, yeah, yeah. what about this bit? Yeah. yeah, so quite early on I thought, this is a story about a woman who falls in love with a planet. I know within that it's it's there is deep complexity in what that is, but in the terms of the way of structuring it, mm. what I wanted was that feeling. And so that's quite clear to me that she... She says at one point, Solaris in the form of Ray is studying humans in the form of me. So she perceives herself and Ray to be almost the the vehicles by which humanity and Solaris are finding contact. Yes. But in truth, I think what's happening is this woman arrives into a world and she sees this great giant ball of consciousness hanging in space and she slowly becomes obsessed with it and infected by it and in fact literally in love with it mm. and then that plays out because of course it's an impossible love yeah having said that lem was always lem says everybody who does solaris including tarkovsky gets it wrong they think it's a love story and and yeah. indeed that is what i've done so I, i'm prepared to sort of get into the <laughs> ring with lem and go i'm terribly sorry mate you wrote a love story that's your problem well but, i think it's certainly one of the things yeah, it's wrote, one of the things it? i certainly. think that's right yeah. I think because also i read that he was actually a bit cross about the the soderbergh film which he hadn't seen but he'd heard about it and right. he was quite kind of a bit sniffy about it and said if I wanted to write a love story I would have called it a love story yeah, out of space yeah. but I didn't yeah. you know I called it yeah. Solaris but but as you say there's so many elements in it that you can pull out well last night in the because it was the opening night last night mm. and it was it was one of those nights where there's lots of people who come and say Hi, and every person who spoke to me said you know so some kind of said I think it's so interesting because it's really it's so obvious that what it's about is grief and you think, yep, absolutely. If if I was grieving and I watched the story that we've told, I would say that is absolutely a story about grief. And then the next person, I mean, and it would really fit as well, yeah. and it would build. Yes, it would and fit. then the next person came along and said, oh, so interesting, so interesting. It's actually a story about empathy. And, you know, and it's really a, a thing. Oh, no, child, it's, it's about it's parenting. He <laughs> said it was about also, parenting. Yeah, that would also, yeah, I hadn't and, thought and of I that, thought, but that God, would also So work. it's yeah. what I think Lem has done... It, it, Really, you know, which is why that the, 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 it's resonant through, through through such a long number of iterations is is 
it's that. It's that whatever, if you structure it correctly, each person will find what it's about, and it absolutely will be about that. You yeah, know. because I was thinking that about about the end. There are, in a way, two sort of opposing ideals. There's there's the sort of sort of Sartorius line, which you could almost say it was a conservation type argument. Mm. We should we should leave it as we found it. We shouldn't. We have a long history. She says, not yeah. unjustly, of let's say politely mucking things up. Yeah. Um, this is dangerous, we're going to ruin it, we should leave it as we found yeah. it. And as you say, Kelvin is is in love with it, but also very much, it's all about contact. And in fact, that's one of the things I thought you could, if had there not already been a science fiction thing called contact, you could yeah, have called yeah, it contact, absolutely. couldn't you? Because you could also say... Well, this, this was what, I, that was my hook, because for me, the thing about contact is, and I think this is throughout the book, is that is that what what... Contact is dangerous, you know. Contact is what we get diseases from. Contact we we can be hurt. Contact is what violence is. Contact is mm. that that is how we will be hurt in the world is contact. And yet we we humans cannot be without it. And and so when we think of alien and the other, we are afraid of it, but we also yearn for it. And that's true. It's like us looking out into space, like the film Contact, like all those films mm. about. That is what we are we alone? We yearn for contact, but we're also afraid of it. And that tension fascinated me. And then to think of a consciousness that was an ocean, I thought the thing about a solo consciousness is that it's never had another. It doesn't know what an other is. And and imagine what it would be like to be a consciousness that's an ocean. And I was trying to get that feeling of so that's why I focused on skin, that we are mm. humans are water. <laughs> we were water encased in these bags of skin, which both gives us a self, but it also separates us and means that we're alone, but it also gives us the possibility of contact. So yep. there's something for me that the book is hinting at, this thing, this idea of... Um, Sartorius's argument, you said it's conservation. It's a little bit conservation, but mm. the play was first written... I wrote it in Australia to be performed in Melbourne. Mm -hmm by the Melbourne uh, uh, Malthouse Theatre. Now, you cannot write anything in Australia to go on a stage and not be aware of the history of that country and in particular the notion of what a small group of people from a faraway yes. place yeah. looking at, yeah. studying and Colony, wondering if they should make contact yes. with... Yeah. <laughs> very mysterious people who yes. they don't really know. Mm, um, how will that play out? How is it going to play out? And I thought both I had to acknowledge it because we were in Australia, but mm. also I thought, well, that again is a deep sort of... This, see, the thing is, it's very easy in, in, in the films and it, to some extent, but less so in the book, it's very easy to not like Sartorius. And I didn't want that because I thought if we just think that Sartorius is sort of wicked or evil because in, you know, there's a lot in the films of Sartorius sort of trying to shoot at the planet and it's very sort yes, of... doing damage. Yeah. yeah, and I was sort of thinking, well, that's all very well, but, but actually there is a deep truth that humans and human contact isn't just dangerous for us, but actually has proven evidence of utterly destroying mm. other things, you yeah. know. So I wanted to give her a bit of weight. It moment. also seemed that, that Sartorius in some way is, is a sort of science-y one. She makes yeah. a good joke at um, yes. Calvary yeah. or something, which you yeah. put in, didn't you? I did put that in. <laughs> yes, yeah. She said she, she's a psychologist and said she's, she's not a scientist. She's well, well, Snow, yes, Snow is upset because she hasn't recorded properly the, the visit of the visitor. 
and he, he says, what kind of scientist are you? And then Sartori says, she's not a scientist, yes. she's a psychologist, <laughs> which is very cheeky. My, I have to say my daughter studied uh, psychology uh, and is still studying psychology at university. That joke was slightly stolen oh, from that. I was going to say, is that your dig? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't my dig at her. She was, no. she was laughing about it. So, uh, yeah. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's again, to I wonder what your idea about, about science and the scientific project in it was because again there is a tension Sartorius as you say is though in your version much less the sort of um, cold crusty old man yeah sort of cold um, emotionless person and actually there's a lot of reason and 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 feeling behind what she says but it seems to me there's a lot of there's a lot of science in the book there's a lot about the scientific method because they have these awful sometimes kind of torturous things that happen to them these horrible emotional things and then they run off to the library as yeah. you say in the Tarkovsky yeah. library, stacked with um, cigars and yeah. wine and books, and then they go and they go through the literature, yeah. and then yeah. they do an experiment yeah. and they extrapolate from the experiment, and then they do a test. Yeah. So the ti- the scientific method works up to a point, yeah. but then it doesn't get them anywhere in terms of kind of. There's an old fashioned sixties thing, isn't there, about ra- scientific method and rationalism? I, for me, what. Calvin slowly realises, and again, I found this quite helpful, Calvin being a female character, what Calvin slowly realises is what if the planet, like a child, is communicating, effectively using emotion and points out, which I think is a truth, that 
it's it's a complete sort of misapprehension of human communication to think that we're rational and we pick words yes. out of our head and yeah, you know, yeah. we're entirely emotional creatures yeah. and it's so because why do of, we assume yes, that all aliens are completely what, logical what on earth and makes rational. and, and yeah. particularly what on earth makes us think that an alien creature looking at us and trying to understand us wouldn't immediately understand that we are emotional creatures They'd get and a therefore big wash of emotion yes and therefore yeah. try to communicate us with using our own language and it's got the idea of puppets as you say yeah. because um, Jabarian, Dr. Jabarian, who is a very influential figure, but you only see him. Um, we on only a see him on his screen. diaries, in his video diary. Yeah. yeah, and he talks about the idea about that they're puppets. It's it might be like a child playing with puppets, yeah. and that's a, a brilliant idea because the puppets can be both repellent and very attractive. Yeah, and they can hit you on the head, and and also children children are playing out their what they get from us and they're playing, you know. Mm. I mean, that does come from the book as well, the idea that yes. they're little offerings coming from children. I mean, for me, the scientific method thing that I, I wanted to play out a little bit just to simplify things was the um, psychology. So she does, for example, she does a personality test and yeah. they do a couple of tests on Ray that re- they sort of reference the... Um, What's the one where where people are, are in pain in another room and the psychologist says you've not got to turn up the Oh, the, the volume, yes, I know the, what you mean. The, I can't uh, remember the name of it. Yeah. Not, I think it's been disproved, that one. I'm I know sure which it one has, you mean. Yeah, yeah. Luckily. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily yeah. it's been disproved. There's something about psychological experiments that we, we already have a deep feeling that they're potentially inhuman and cruel and that yes. and that it sort of reveals the worst of us. So it was quite nice to have this thing that this sort of young man has arrived and he's quite strange and joyful and mm. and they sort of they experiment they're on almost him. So they, they reduce him to an object the, yeah, yeah like a butterfly and a yeah, pin yeah. you know yes yeah. um in terms of technical challenges i know that you, you you didn't have to stage it as it were but you had to write it so that yeah it, do you have to think about you don't have to think oh how do we stage this do you i mean how did you think about the the ocean about representing the vast well we we, we did it we made the show together so so right. to some extent uh, um, I, I didn't think about change. We haven't, by the way, I would really recommend if people can come to see it because of, in particular, Jaime Chin's extraordinary design. I think she's mm. done a really beautiful design. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's kind of magical uh, as well to watch. But um, Matthew and I, when we started to make it, we had to think, well, how are we going to do this mm. thing? And um, um, Matthew had a real vision of... Uh, he wanted disorientation and the sense of every room is sort of the same but different and so you you don't quite because that's of course space stations in a sense they are these kind of you imagine they're sort of bolt-on units and everything is basically a white cube but Mm. it's a white cube with a bed or a white cube with a kitchen unit you know so there was something about that disorientation which um we played with and so i didn't know i didn't know how he would stage it but the single location i tried to sort of i mean could have been a hotel. I mean, I, you know, mm. to be honest, in that sense, I wasn't thinking, you know, much more than that. But the representation of the planet, it was really clear from the very beginning. We are going to have to do that by the audience imagining it, yes. by us conjuring it with word, with light, with reflected light. So it's like you see mm. reflected on their faces what they might be seeing. And the thing, again, cinema is extraordinary, and so cinema can do that. But if I could critique the great... and extraordinary Tarkovsky who could not be a, you know a better cinema maker and indeed cinematographer probably the weakest bit of the film is when you see the amazingness of the planet mm. because it's not amazing because anything that you can actually see is never as amazing as a thing in a book 
you know, that describe that lets you imagine it. Yeah. And cinema kind of has to do that. But and and it is often at the time amazing because it's the cutting edge of whatever our technology is. But it always in the end looks sort of slightly shonky. And and so for me, I thought that the only way we can do this is to find in as many ways as we can to make the audience imagine the planet. I suppose the one thing we do have is we have this sort of a shutter that like a blinking eye that comes down and opens and sort of allows us to change scene and mm. we project onto that shutter waves they're just waves from the sea so i hope that gives the audience some yes, sort of vibe because of the way you're it. thinking about yeah. it and i i also thought what it, what was brilliant is the way that when the people in the space station are looking out at Solaris and yeah. thinking about Solaris, they're looking at the audience. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> so I didn't want to say that. <laughs> I didn't want to say that because um, because uh, it, it, I suppose it's slightly... One of my favourite playwrighty things is that you always do stuff with the audience mm. and I almost want to... I never want to really go on about it because I always think, am I just being silly? I'm just being trivial. But of course, that's what well, I love. The they're thing. looking because at because they're yeah. gazing out at the audience, which is. I wonder if I wonder what they're thinking. <laughs> I wonder what's out there. I wonder what they're strangely beautiful. They're malevolent. Have you got no idea what they could do to us? <laughs> could no, be really, I love all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, In that... fact, actually, not to be trivial, that one of my absolute favourite writers and poets who has, I think, a long history with the TLS is W. S. Graham, mm. and when I write. I absolutely do this exercise at the beginning of every project where I say, how would W.S. Graham really? write this? Yeah, W.S. Graham, one of his tropes that he often does is he sort of makes the poem write itself or he sort of inverts it and he has a poem... What is the language using us for is a W.S. Graham line. That's a very Solaris it's a thing very, to say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he has this brilliant poem where he sort of... He kind of says, I'm on the other side of this piece of paper, thumping, thumping away, and you're you're reading. So he 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 puts as if somehow the he's like behind the paper in the poem and you're reading the poem. And there's something of that in, in this that when they look out at Solaris, they are they're going, kind of What you know, can we make contact at, or, or or will it be forever unknown to us? And and that's again. It's 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 another of those things. If you watch the whole play, thinking it's about writing, you'd probably be able to to make that work as well. You could probably justify yeah, that one as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to just widen out a little bit that you um you've got another um, production that will be in London soon, which I think has been on tour. Yeah, touching the void, that's which is right. about the two climbers who get trapped on a on a mountain, and one of them has to cut the rope holding them. Yeah. I just want I wanted to. Are you drawn to particularly to, difficult to staging? Am I drawn things? to voids? I thought How, you were yeah. going to say. Well, all voids. Yeah. Um, I am actually drawn to particularly difficult staging. It's a slight coincidence, but it's not a complete coincidence that so touching the void is 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 partly the the the, the famous of memoir of Joe Simpson who and uh, a terrible climbing accident and a really an extraordinary story of survival mm. brings himself literally back from death effectively but it was also a, a film as well uh, yeah. well a documentary film and yes no I would say that so in the same way that Solaris was uh, a challenge because I thought okay so I love doing something where the 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 the, the audience would go well, how the hell are they going to do that? That's essentially what I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah be partly because, A, I mean, there's a little bit of me that thinks, well, I don't know, but it's going to be, you know, <laughs> the point see. is it's going to have to be interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. if, if it's one of those, then both the audience might be curious to see how, how you do it, but also you're going to have to do something interesting. because and the you, audience will probably have to do some work as well, well some imaginative work. Possibly, yeah. And, 
And it was the same with Touching the Void. And, and in the same way as we didn't want tinfoil in Solaris, I said really early on to Tom Morris, who I was working with on that show, don't... Um, the thing about this is we have to do it without any polystyrene. You know, we can't have anything that tries to pretend it's a mountain. Yes, right. And again, it's the same reason. We would laugh. We know... We just say that's not a mountain. Yes, it's not a mountain. Yeah, I'm, yeah. In, I'm in a theatre and here's my gin and tonic. You know, we just can't... For some reason, cinema can do that and we can't. I think the thing is that cinema is closer maybe to novels. We sort of dive in, we're immersed and we can be in places. Whereas I think there's something about theatre is more akin to poetry in that I think you have to, you have to find metaphors, you have to find or metonyms, you, you've got to find fragments that, that speak of the whole and that therefore becomes a really exciting project and, and also a limitation that becomes a challenge so in that mm. play one of the things that we do is, is there's a famous climbing pub in, in, in Glencoe in Scotland called the Clacheg Inn which um, Joe Simpson used to hang out in when he was a young man and in a sense we start by we start in the claque again and it's almost like we say well how can you tell this story if all that you have is what's in the claque again and then mm. we sort of build it outwards from that mm. you say that it's like poetry but it's um is it also that you have to work harder to suspend the disbelief yes, yes. which you do for a poem as well yes. why are they write why is it yes. why is it written like yes. that why does it rhyme yeah. You know, why am I sitting here watching that guy? Yes, Whereas yes. the the novel and certainly the cinema, because you're completely immersed, you have no choice, really. You're sort of yeah. I'm an old-fashioned Brechtian in some ways, and Brecht says you should... Brecht always imagines you'd have a cigar when you're watching a play, and he says you should comment on it like, like two blokes at the back of the stand in a football match, going, why has he done that? He shouldn't do that. <laughs> I kind of think that. That's, that's one of the things I love about theatre, is that I know that I'm there, mm. and I know that they're there, and I know it's not real all the time, as I also know I'm in it, and it is and you're real. Caught up yeah, in I'm it, caught up and in it. And that involved. tension, to me, is one of my favourite, favourite... Um, well, writers and thoughts is Adorno, and he has in he has his negative dialectic. So he says instead of having thesis and antithesis, and then we merge them together to create synthesis, he says you have to have thesis and antithesis, and the contradiction should be so powerful that you and what you should do is think to build up the contradiction and keep thinking so that so don't resolve, don't resolve. Yeah. In fact, work harder to make the contradiction even bigger mm. until eventually it sort of tears a hole in the fabric of the universe, and you briefly glimpse the truth through it just for a second before it shuts again which is a, a sort of mystical thought as well but actually i find that very very helpful in the theater that mm. um what you try to do for the audience is to create these things that are pulling apart so that so that there's this moment of glimpse of something behind it which they will get and is a personal experience to them and i think that's a theatrical thing rather than a cinematic or a novelistic thing where you somehow that is immersed in you whereas the theatrical experience you you're looking for that's why I adapt difficult books. It's because mm. I want to create things where you... you it's uh, extreme. Yeah, where you kind of know this isn't... You absolutely know you're watching a play. Yeah, this is not possible. Ab and you absolutely feel the emotion of totally being in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one more thing, um, which I'm going to cheekily just widen it out completely, if you don't mind. Yes. Um, I, I know that... So you're the artistic director of the Lyceum now yes. um, in Edinburgh, but, and you were uh, involved with National Theatre of Scotland, yes, uh, certainly yeah. there, and, at their inception, and yes, done lots yeah. and lots of stuff with them. And I was just wondering how it, how different it feels ten years later in terms of... Because I know that National Theatre of Scotland done a lot of... They do a lot of... You do a lot of 
a lot of engagement with what's actually going on with uh, yeah. situations with refugees, with yeah. Scottish identity, with yeah. dare we say Europe. Yes. And I was wondering how that feels at the moment, and whether you whether you um, well, feel that that is or should be addressed by theatre or yes. not. Or there was a thing when during the independence referendum, I, and I campaigned on the side of voting yes in the, during the independence referendum in 2014. But I remember during the independence referendum, people saying, you know, someone should write a play about independence. And I would say again and again and again, either people have already written plays about independence five years ago, and what we are now realising is that they were about independence, or in five years' time, plays will come that will be about what this experience was. But right now is the absolute worst time to write a play about independence. Because it would be a sort of news story. It's just or a news story, yeah. Or... I mean, you can do a cabaret and things like that. Cabaret's mm. great. I mean, you can... There's all sorts of things you can do in the theatre. And this is the thing. When I then took over the Lyceum, it was so ironic because I went to the board and I said, look, because Edinburgh was the biggest uh, no voting in in, in our uh, independence referendum. Edinburgh is a no city. Mm. And the demographic of Lyceum subscribers, the sort of middle class of Edinburgh, so to speak, probably was the biggest no voting demographic there is. So when I took over the job, I was very, very aware of like, yikes, will they think I'm, I'm, uh, you know, a terrible uh, nationalist, you know. But what I said was, look, the thing is, it looks like there's probably going to be five, ten years before there's some other kind of referendum on independence. And the important thing, what we absolutely need is a space for civic discourse. We need to get together. We need to discuss the stuff. And we need, mm. you know, we, we not just discuss issues, but we need to actually be a polity. We need to bring out, and my th- feeling is we need to behave as if we were an independent country. We need to take ourselves seriously and talk about it. The Greeks, democracy and theatre, were invented within about five years of each other. Mm. One of the other things I adapted recently was Aeschylus's play, The Suppliant Women, and that that play has the first mention of the word democracy. Aeschylus was a democrat. It was when Athens was becoming democratic. Um, I think that on some level, the, the Greeks understood that you can't have democracy without theatre and you can't have theatre without democracy because unless you have a place where we can look at stories and go what would I do in that situation would I be like that what you know how is this work unless you can have a civic space to think through things but in the in the form of story and uh uh you know entertainment unless you can have a civic space to gather and do that then your democracy is always going to be a kind of mob rule or a kind of autocratic populism and similarly, I don't think you can really have theatre without democracy. You can have very good theatre created. Theatre is resistant to, is always resistant to a non-democratic system. So yeah. it can, of course, exist within non-democratic regimes, but it's always it's existing in resistance about, yeah. to them. It's never existing yeah. in support of them. There's no, there's no great fascist play. There's not even any great communist play in the sense of there are great plays that were created under communism and there were great plays that were created promoting communism before they were under you know they yes. were resistant to yeah, it yeah. but theater in general doesn't support the state that isn't that isn't how it works yeah. it can't be yeah. yeah thank you very much we could talk about this I know. all day it's, but it's, but, um... it's been enormous fun thank you for having me it's nice <laughs> thank you very much uh, for coming uh, yeah thank you grand <laughs> 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 